the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life. 340, let me go back. All we need is for you to call us 210, I almost forgot, 340-9585 is our main number. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just at the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. And that's all you need to do. Hey, a couple quick things tonight. I'm going to be teaching 2 Kings chapter 3 in our Wednesday night Bible study. Interesting stuff, but I really can't wait to get to the next chapter, uh, next Wednesday night, chapter 4. So that's tonight here at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com if you are so inclined. And uh, also, uh, tomorrow being Thursday, that means Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. So whatever your need is, if you need to be encouraged, boy, tomorrow would be a great day. You can give us a call then. Well, let's get right to some questions and uh, we'll move on from there as we await your phone calls. This is Anonymous from our mobile app. Hello, Pastor. I pray that you and Paula are doing well. Is it a good rule of thumb to believe or understand that all promises of God in the Old Testament were made for the Jewish people and not for modern Christians and Gentiles? Yeah, it is a good rule of thumb. Now, here's the, here's the difficulty. God is God, Israel is a covenant nation, the only the only covenant nation uh, that, that God ever dealt with, and He made them these great and glorious unconditional promises. Now, He also made them promises that were conditional, meaning I'm going to do this if you do this, and principally anonymous. We still have those kind of promises in the New Testament for us. But but the unconditional promises are all to Israel. They will be fulfilled uh, during the, the, the Great Tribulation or following the Great Tribulation in the Millennial Kingdom when Jesus will sit on the throne of David. Now, here's the problem. Of course, we hear people all the time, if my people who are called by their name will, by my name will humble themselves and pray, um, um, there, that's a principle that we can take. But that promise is specific to Israel. Um, we can take the principle. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. We know that from Jeremiah 29. But um, what we have to understand is that, again, those are covenant promises to Israel. And in this particular case, they are promises to encourage Jeremiah and Israel, the, 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 the remnant that were following God, 
uh, that, that he is going to keep his promises. And after the Babylonian captivity, then God will bless them and prosper them at some point. So our problem is we take those passages of Scripture, we take them out of context, and we twist them, and they're simply not prayers that God is going to hear from New Testament Christians. Now, we have greater access. Now, again, the principles. Um, um, God has great plans for us. His plans are not to harm us, but to bless us or to prosper us. We know that, not financial prosperity, but but to prosper our lives, the abundant life Jesus promised. But the uh, idea here, the specific intent is for Israel, and there was a purpose in those blessings. So uh, it is a good rule of thumb. And by the way, Anonymous, we had a phone call yesterday toward the end of the program about dispensationalism. And you have to understand this from a dispensational view, or you're going to be praying these kinds of prayers um, that, that God is unable to answer because they were never intended uh, for us. So when you say they were made for the Jewish people, they're made for national Israel. The Jewish people are blessed just like we are by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Once more, the principles involved apply to us, but not the specific promise. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Hey, by the way, can I just ask everybody out there to pray while I'm waiting for this next question? Um, Our kids left or are leaving this afternoon for their youth retreat. Um, tonight they begin, and it'll be through Saturday morning. And uh, I would just like to know that the audience is praying for the kids. Uh, I think we have um, like a three-to-one ratio, kids to adult uh, or or uh, high school age uh, or, or college age um, servants. So we, we've got a lot of people out there. And we would just pray that God would pour out his spirit upon those kids and this would be a time they would never forget. We always get great, great results from our youth camps. And so they are going to be out there. And if you can remember me, remember them this weekend, uh, just as the Lord brings them to heart and mind, pray for them and pray for the work the Holy Spirit wants to do. Okay, here is our friend Maverick again from our email inbox. Um Hello, Pastor Ron. Trust this email. Find you and yours blessed and doing well. Thoughts on the Abrahamic family house construction and pending new home to the one world religion of Chrislam. From my understanding, the three buildings being erected will house the St. Francis of Assisi Church, the Iman Al-Tayyab Mosque, and the Moses Ben Maimon Synagogue. According to the now, the end beings, or I think he means begins, link provided below, the project completion rate was 20% as of June 2021 and is set to open in 2020. Any potential end-time prophetic significance to the construction effort we should be paying attention to? No, I don't think there's um, um, any significance uh, Maverick to this at all. Uh, I, I visited the website that you looked, and it is a, a sensationalism type um, King James only website, and they're they're um, prophesying. Uh, you know, they're they're huge Donald Trump fans, and I think they've got their priorities a little bit mixed up. But um, uh, we shouldn't be surprised. We we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, Chrislam is um, being used as a nomenclature for um, or or still by some Christians who are liberal, their persuasion, and a one-world religion, uh, ecumenicalism uh, is is attractive to these people, Um, and and we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, I've said all along that the apostasy or the great falling away has already begun, and we can see those things, but certainly... Uh, that isn't being done under the direction of the Antichrist. Um, we're not at that place yet. And uh, when when the Antichrist is going to be on the scene, things are going to move much more uh, quickly than, than this is moving. Uh, but this is just, I think, in recognition. I think this is in uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, it's in the Middle East for sure. But um, um, I think this is just... just more liberalism uh, moving in for a one-world religion, and they want to trumpet it and use it to raise funds. And and, and this is a website that I think uh, I would 
um, I would not listen to or pay any attention to or spend any time with at all. We know, Maverick, what the last days are going to look like. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, beginning the first verse, tells us what kind of world uh, we're going to live in. Jesus said the same thing as it was in the days of Noah. Um, people will be eating and drinking, marrying, giving to marriage. I mean, life is just going to go on, and it's going to get more and more wicked. Uh, we we actually live in that time right now. And um, um, the one thing this website does have correct is the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. They're looking for the return of Jesus. But I think their priorities are off, so I wouldn't pay any attention to it at all. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Here is a question from Christopher. He says, Pastor Ron, do, do Colossians 2.14 Matthew 5.17 contradict each other? And even before I read it, I will say no. We know they don't uh, contradict one another. They can't. I'll read Matthew 5.17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Colossians 2.14 says, Having canceled the written code with its regulations, it was against us, and that stood opposed to us. He, Jesus, took it away, nailing it to the cross. So um, when Jesus said he came not to to abolish the law, he said every jot and tittle of law will will, will be there forever. Uh, not one jot, not one tittle will change or move. Uh, but Jesus said his purpose in coming was to fulfill them, thus putting an end to them because of the completion. Jesus, we know, is the only man who's ever lived in complete fulfillment of the law. And and we can sweeten the pot a little bit with the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Um, uh, Jesus fulfilled not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. So once a, a human being, and we have to remember and, and we sometimes forget this. Jesus was 100% human. He was also God, but he was 100% human, and that's the way he fulfilled the law. And because he had no sin nature and fulfilled the law, the law then was satisfied. And and I think this is what we miss. Um, we're not doing away with the law. Jesus canceled it by establishing a new covenant. And this covenant, of course, is a covenant of grace. Uh, and, and the reason this 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 the, the law had to be fulfilled uh, is is because uh, it was against us. It didn't accomplish the purpose of God, and the purpose of God um, um, is to to draw us to Jesus Christ, so that our sins can be forgiven, and that we then can again have a relationship with Him. Well, Jesus canceled the old covenant, the law established this new covenant of grace and that's the covenant that fulfills God's purposes. You know, Jesus told parables about new wineskins and old wineskins. Um, Christianity is the new wineskin and you can't put old wine in a new wineskin. The fermentation will burst the new wineskin. Um, so the idea there is, is it's completely fulfilled and Jesus, by dying for us and by rising from the dead, Jesus never spoke about his death without also speaking about his resurrection. By doing that, Christopher, uh, Jesus made the way. The, the mediator, the one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, gave us new life in Christ. We are born again, never again under the condemnation of the law. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Ernie. Ernie says, what is the difference in authority between Jesus' and Paul's words? Ernie, there is no difference whatsoever. Different purposes. Jesus is Jewish. I say, I've been asked questions like this repeatedly, and I, I'm not trying to just repeat myself, but Jesus' ministry was to the Jews, for the Jews, and was very Jewish in scope. Paul was sent by Jesus himself to take this good news, the gospel of reconciliation, to the Gentiles. 
But there's no difference in authority. And here's one of the problems that we have, uh, one of the conflicts in in the minds of many Christians and even in in different churches. You know, there are some say, well, well, we need to study the Gospels more because Jesus was God and Jesus has more authority. Um, but, but those are people that don't understand their Bibles or how we got it. The Bible says of itself that it was the breath of God pushing the pens from the hands of men. But every word in our Bibles is authoritative. Now, we remember also that when Jesus was here, the the scriptures that were being referred to were the Old Testament scriptures. They were written by God. We have validation that the New Testament scriptures were also uh, inspired by God. Uh, Peter uh, talks about uh, Paul's letters. Some are heavy and hard to understand. Uh, Weighty, I think, is the word he used, and, and difficult to understand. Um, like other scriptures, he says. But what we have in our New Testaments is every bit as authoritative, whether it's written by Paul, James, Jude, uh, by Peter or John or Luke. Um, um, every bit as authoritative as the words that we have in red in our New Testaments. And anytime you get somebody who who says, Ernie, that uh, Jesus' words carry more weight. They're demonstrating uh, their lack of understanding in the canon of Scripture, how we got it, how God preserved it, and the basis of authority. Um, Jesus told his disciples, and I, this is something that I think these red-letter guys forget. Jesus told his disciples that I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he the Holy Spirit comes. He will lead you into all truth. And that was a foreshadowing of the Bible that we have and the teaching that comes from the Bible. And the, the reality is true. We, we have so much more information available to us, the information to live. We know how to live our lives. We know what the will of God is. We know what God expects from us. We know how we can live a life pleasing to the Lord. We know that because we have the canon of Scripture. And because we have the canon of Scripture, we're not left alone to wander around aimlessly trying to figure out what this strange God in heaven wants us to be or wants us to do. And so, Ernie, the only way you can understand our Bible at all, and there are there's no conflict, there's no contradictions between Jesus' words and Paul's words, uh, but the only way you can understand the Bible is to to understand the makeup of our, our Bible um, and the authority with which each word gives. You know, I heard somebody say just the other day because uh, Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. And I believe the Apostle Paul was, was the author to uh, the Hebrews. And somebody said, well, that's just one verse. How important can it be? Well, how many times does God have to say something before it's important? So we have to understand the significance of our Bible, how it was put together, and then we can put the authority, the proper authority. And every time you're in a church that goes off base, it's because they don't understand that. And that's part of the problem that we've uh, caused ourselves in, in the church by, by preaching easy um, uh, messages, um, by, by skipping parts of Scripture that are uncomfortable, um, that's what we do. So um, there is no difference in authority at all between what Jesus wrote or said and what the Apostle Paul wrote for us that has been preserved. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Um, Sean wants to know what is the right way to repent in prayer. Um, Sean, there's no wrong way to repent. If you're convicted of sin and you're sorry for that sin and you don't want to do it anymore, that's all you got to say to the Lord. So there's no wrong way. You want to know the best way to repent? Go to Psalm 51 and listen to David's masterpiece on repentance. Um, having been caught, I mean, he didn't he didn't volunteer his guilt. He was busted, and his response was against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. Surely I was sinful in my mother's womb, sinful at birth. And, and, and he simply acknowledged, took responsibility for his sin. And uh, he could then later write in that same psalm, Therefore, um, 
renew a right spirit within me and restore the joy of my salvation. So, Sean, that's all you have to do is just be genuine with God. Now, let me say one other thing. Uh, Repentance is not a theory. Repentance is not an emotion. Repentance means we take action and we stop doing the thing that we know we shouldn't do. So it's not something where we sinned and we say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I know I shouldn't have. And then we just plan on to continue sinning. Uh, we fall right back into that trap. The right way to repent is just to go before God with an open heart. Go with a grateful heart. That the word says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's all we have to do. And John, whenever you have situations like this where you're not sure, go in the Bible and listen to the prayers of repentance. Listen to Daniel's prayer of repentance in chapter 10 of his prophecy. Um, Amazing stuff. We've got to be willing to accept responsibility for the condition our lives are in. And then we got to say, okay, Lord, I want to change that. I don't want to displease you any longer. Please forgive me. And it's done instantly, Sean. No more issues at all. Good question. Thank you. Here is an anonymous question. Um, When I go to church, I often, um, I'm made to feel guilty. I'm often made to feel guilty. I don't want to feel guilty, so what should I do about it? Um, Anonymous, what you should do is stop doing bad stuff. I mean, thank God that, that that the Spirit of God is still working in your heart and that he convicts you of sin. Um, and I always tell our church here that guilt is a good thing if you are guilty. But then, because of Romans 8.1, there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can say, Lord, I'm guilty. I'm busted. Please forgive me. I don't want to sin anymore. And then you've solved your problem. But see, that's why you go to church. You go to church to get right with God and stay right with God. He gives you, he's so gracious, he gives you those opportunities. And when we mess up, and we all will occasionally. Now, we can't use that as an excuse to say, well, I'm going to mess up anyway, so I might as well mess up now. No, we've got to fight. We've got to resist the sin. And going to church, uh, Holy Spirit speaking to you, that's the reason you go. You don't go to feel good about yourself, especially if you're in sin. You go to learn about Jesus. You go to be equipped for the work um, that God has for you to do. And you um, um, are grateful for it. You know, Paula will be here tomorrow, Anonymous, and she she's, she says often, um, I love conviction. That's what she says. Um, I would rather, I love it more that I wouldn't be convicted, that my heart would always be right with the Lord. But I'm sure grateful in those times when he actually does go out of his way to convict me of things, to keep me from digging deeper and deeper into sin. He He's always there with his arms reached out to us. And all we have to do is um, repent, repent. So guilt is good if you're guilty because Jesus has the answer for guilt. Those people who say, well, I don't want to go to church and feel bad about myself. God is doing you a favor. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, Jesus says, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And to be convicted of sin is a demonstration of just how much God loves you. So I think that's a good thing. Gregory, this will be the last question for this half of the program. Um, Gregory says, I have a female relative who wants to be addressed as a male. I don't want to compromise my faith and know she isn't really a male, so what do I do? Um, Gregory, you know, my, my, my general rule of, of thumb for, for me personally now, you can take it or leave it, but I will call people um, by whatever name they want to be called. They have a legal right to be called by whatever name. So if if she's a female and she wants to be called Mitch, um, okay, that's your name. I'll call you Mitch. But don't expect me to to refer to you as a man because you're not. And the stand that you're taking is probably going to cost you um, friends. Family members are going to turn their back on you. Uh, You're going to be called names and be talked about behind your back. That's got to be okay with you. 
Because the man, Gregory, the woman who won't compromise their faith is going to be opposed. Just like Jesus was opposed. They hated him. He said, they will hate you. They insulted him. They're going to insult you. Um, So what you do is you just sit down and explain to her. Um, You're confused about who you are. I'm not confused. I am a Christian. I love Jesus Christ. I believe in the Bible. And the Bible says you were born female and you are a female and that will never change. Please know that I love you and I will be praying for you. I'm not angry at you. My heart is broken because of this deception, but I will not compromise my faith. And if you ever really want to talk about important things, if you ever really want to talk about Jesus, I'll be here. And it's the most loving thing you can do. And Gregory, just be ready because your family members and the world around you will come against you like a flood. So be prepared for that. But the most loving thing you can do to this female relative is is make yourself available to her in love. Just tell her, I can't imagine heaven without you. So I'm going to be the guy who is always over here praying for you to receive Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. The phones are quiet. We'd love your calls. 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. You know, sometimes two minutes goes by so quickly. My goodness. This is a question from Clarence. Uh, Pastor, what is the actual mission of of the New Testament Church. I love this question, Clarence, and I love it um, because it, it, it's so much deeper and more intricate than we can possibly imagine. Um, the actual mission of the New Testament Church, Jesus' um, um, charge to all of us is to go to make disciples um, of all peoples, all nations, teaching them to obey everything that he commanded, making disciples. Uh, We're told in Ephesians chapter 4 that the mission of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, not just to equip the pastors or or the uh, full-time employees, but to equip the saints. The saint is everybody who's born again in Jesus Christ. Uh, And that's the mission of the New Testament church. And if we do that, and here's the beautiful thing, if we do that, I believe that God has a plan for every single church. And it is incumbent upon the leadership of that church to find out, asking the one who's in charge, exactly what the mission is. And uh, our mission here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is unique. I love the fact that God has entrusted uh, what has been at times a very difficult ministry, um, um, we're not to charge for stuff. We give everything away for free. Um, um, we, we've taken steps of faith, as I think most of you in the audience know. Uh, free school, free doctor's office, um, uh, a free home for women to give them a new chance, a new beginning in life. Um, we're working on a free restaurant. We've got all kinds of things that God wants us to do. And you see, that's our mission um, and if, if the leadership of a church will say, okay, Jesus, you're the head of the church. I'm your servant. I call you Lord. So what is the vision for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio? Um, it's, it's my responsibility to follow that mission. Now, the church next door, and we don't have a church next door, but figuratively speaking, church next door has a different specific mission. Again, to make disciples, to equip the saints for the work of ministry applies to all of us. But his mission might be um, um, supporting missionaries or sending missionaries or planting churches. We don't know. Uh, But God will speak to the leaders of each of the churches 
to determine what that mission is. And I think our problem, Clarence, in the church, and I'm going to speak only about the United States, that's really all I'm, I know about with any authority. I think too much of us, too many of us, we just do what we're told to do or what we see others do that seems to work. I had a question yesterday from Dewey about pragmatism in the church. And, um, you know, we have a tendency to look at, well, well, this church is being blessed, so let's copy theirs. You know, when Pastor Chuck um, started Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, back in the Jesus movement days. This was just a move of God. This wasn't something Pastor Chuck did. It wasn't something that Pastor Chuck dreamed about or or or, or thought, you know, here's what I'll do to attract people. Um, God just brought him all these crazy hippies and told him to make disciples of them. And he taught the Bible to them. And then God brought the people and the people did the rest of the work. And I don't think we give the Lord, the Holy Spirit, we don't give him the opportunity to do that much anymore because we send out churches and expect them uh, to do exactly what the sending church did or what the successful pattern of church is. That's how we got the seeker-sensitive churches uh, like Willow Creek and Saddleback in California. And, And again, on the surface, it looks like it works wonderfully because they're just loaded with people. Well, Those churches are struggling now. In these last days, their people aren't equipped to do the work of ministry. So every church needs to search the heart and the will of God to find out what it is you want me to do, Lord. And Clarence, if if we'll do that, God will put it all together perfectly. You know, you look at things, uh, I've always thought of this like a quilt. You look at the back of a quilt. My grandma used to make me quilts. And you look at the back of a quilt, and it just looks awful. And you look at the front of the quilt, and it's got these beautiful little pictures and stuff that are are sewn in. And and um, um, God is maybe we see the backside, and it doesn't look like there's much organization. But but what God is doing is building something beautiful. And the problem we run into is that we rebel against that because it doesn't make sense to us. And I've had the opportunity, Clarence, to speak to a lot of pastors. I am, in fact, going to San Francisco in February. Um, I'm going to be speaking to pastors from, I think, 65 churches in Northern California. Um, And they want me to talk about faith. They want me to talk about what God has done here. And when I do that, um, I'm just going to tell them, you know, I didn't do anything, just like Pastor Chuck didn't do anything. He just was obedient to the one thing God told him to do. And then God could trust him with all those people. And and I think as pastors, when we stand before the Lord, remember Jesus' principle, much is given, much is required. And, and the idea there is always much more is required. And, and those of us that God has blessed and given us the responsibility um, of being leaders in the church, um, we demonstrate our gratitude for that by simply taking orders. You know, I've had people come in over the years, Clarence, and challenge what we do. Why would you do this? This doesn't make any sense. God won't bless that. I'm going to be teaching tonight about a miracle that uh, was done in Second Kings chapter 3. Uh, and God simply asked the people, the, the, the soldiers, to dig ditches, and he would do the rest of the work. And uh, if they chose not to dig ditches because they were in a in a famine, a drought, um, um, they could say, well, this doesn't make sense. There's no clouds. There's nothing in the sky. Um, how is it going to be filled with water? Uh, God just said, you dig ditches. I'll take care of the rest. And their job was to dig the ditches. And, and uh, they woke up the next morning. And, of course, the ditches were full of water. That's 2 Kings chapter 3. And and in the same way, uh, as a church leader, my responsibility is to do what Jesus said to do. And um, then Jesus gives us all our individual, our specific mission fields. And um, it's magnificent that we're all different, or should be. And when we find models of churches popping up, I think that misses the whole point of God sending a vision to a particular church leader. Thank you for that question. I like that. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, He says, I'm a man who is single 
after being married for a long time. How does one go about dating, and especially in regard to sex? I think most singles expect to have sex now, and I know that I cannot until I am married. Anonymous, God bless you. Jesus is smiling at you. Uh, you know, I think our our culture has been sold a bill of goods, a bad bill of goods uh, relative to sex. Oh, everybody's doing it. You can't possibly refrain, especially when you've been used to it. And um, um, God will honor your commitment to purity. That's all I can say. So um, you need to be up front with people. I don't know how you're going about dating. I am certainly... Um, not in favor of Christians getting on dating websites or dating apps, those kinds of things. I think this is where we demonstrate that we trust God, we we dig in, we find God's will for our lives, we serve others, and God will bring you somebody. If you have a desire to be married, I think that desire has been placed there by God. He said it's not good for a man to be alone. So uh, here's what you do when you um, are interested in somebody or they are interested in you. Uh, you sit down at the beginning and lay down the ground rules. Say, I'm a Christian. And, of course, you've got to find a Christian woman. We are both Christians, and we both know that premarital sex is off the table. Can't do it. Uh, it would be a sin against God. And that should relieve a lot of pressure. I have a dear, dear, dear friend who lost his wife. And uh, a little more than a year later, he... Um, uh, fell in love with another woman. And he said the pressure was enormous. He said, you know, what are you going to do with the tensions in the air all the time? And, of course, the desire to have sex is there if you've fallen in love with somebody. And um, uh, he sat down with her and said, look, let's, I just need to get this out of the way. We're not going to have sex before we're married. And she just sighed a big sigh of relief. It was like, you really are who I thought you were. And that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Because when we start compromising, we start finding ourselves in positions where we're, we're being tempted. That's when we run into trouble, Anonymous. So um, God bless you. Um, you serve the Lord with all of your heart. Uh, let the Lord know that you're going to trust him to bring you the, the, the woman uh, in your life or the woman that you want to have. Um, but you let those prospective dates know from the beginning who you are and whose you are, to whom do you belong. Um, we, we had another pastor, a friend of mine, we, we planted a church with him here in northwest San Antonio in the Alamo Ranch area. And um, uh, he took a very strong stand uh, with his uh, now wife of many years. Um, but uh, at first it was a little concerning to her. But yeah, uh, yeah. He, he, he. This is who I am, and and you are the daughter of God, and I'm not going to defile the daughter of God, and it's turned out well for them as well. So, good question. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Here is a question from Jonathan. Um, when needing wisdom, should I seek God or go to trusted? counselors? Um, the answer, yes, Jonathan. You should do both those things. Um, but always, first and foremost, seek God. Open your Bible. Be in prayer. Expect the Lord is going to speak to your heart. But James promises now it's in this area of suffering, so this is a little out of context. But he says, if you're lacking wisdom, ask God who gives it generously or liberally. Um, so wisdom is something we can have. We can know what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. He will confirm that almost always through his word. Now, if you're having a little bit of difficulty, God's given you some scripture or he's given you some direction and you need some counsel, this is what you do then. You let him know that uh, you're seeking wisdom. Uh, this is where God uh, sent you. And, and now I'm looking for some help in understanding or, or applying these verses that God gave me. Now, here's the thing you've got to do. You've got to be sure that the counselors that you are going to are really good counselors. You know, um, uh, we're told in the poetic books that uh, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors in Proverbs. 
Um, but there's only wisdom in a multitude of counselors if they're wise counselors. So um, find people who are walking with Jesus. I don't mean just the profession of their lips, but I mean you can see the fruit coming from their lives. Um, if you need wisdom, for example, about a marriage, um, find somebody whose marriage has been honoring God for a very long time. They're, they're counselors you can trust. But never, Jonathan, never go to somebody who's not walking with the Lord, somebody who says they're a professing Christian, but there's no fruit in their lives. We do that, and I, I, I've never been able to understand why. And typically it boils down to we go to a multitude of counselors because we're really trying to find somebody who will tell us what we want to hear. Um, so here's what you do. You always go to God first. And then you look for people who are bearing fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is evident in their lives. You remember in Acts chapter 6, uh, when um, a, a problem came up in the church, division between the Hebraic Jews and the Grecian Jews, uh, the widows, there was some favoritism uh, being expressed. And um, um, Peter's counsel to them was, Find seven men from among you who are known to be full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit. Um, they had no problem finding those men, and it was those men who were demonstrating their Christ-likeness uh, who God used to solve the problem. So always remember, you, you only want counsel from people uh, who will be direct with you, um, but people who are demonstrating in their own lives that there's a lot of fruit. A lot of fruit. And then whenever you get counsel from a person or a group of people, um, check that out, Jonathan, against the Word of God as well. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Melissa. She wants to know, are special needs people somehow cursed by God? If not, why doesn't God heal them? Um, Melissa, this is a tough question. Uh, No, they're not cursed by God. Um, special needs people are special. They're special in the eyes of God. He is always uh, there uh, on behalf of those who are are, are the most in need. Um, God's heart breaks. It, it always has. It always will. But we live in a fallen world. Sin has so destroyed this world that um, uh, people are born with these special needs. Uh, people are... Um, um, born with defects, deformities. Um, and uh, that's not God's fault. That's just the world that we live in. And typically, Melissa, God will surround those people with um, the most loving of parents, uh, family units, churches. Um, and it's our responsibility to take care of those people. So no, nobody's cursed by God. That's not who he is nor what he does. And God doesn't heal them, uh, at least here on this earth, um, because that's just a normal course of life. They will be healed one day when they go to stand before Jesus. And for the very first time, they will be perfect. But no, they're not cursed. Let's go to our first call of the day. We've got to Caesar on line one from San Antonio. Caesar, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Yes, hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I had a question for you, but I'm going to kind of explain something real quick before the question. Um, I was talking to a Grandmaster Mason, and he was explaining, you know, Freemasonry and telling me how, like, the inside of the, inside of the lodge resembles Solomon's Temple and how when they have their lodge, they have the Bible open, so they do everything in front of God. And how the York Rite and Scottish Rite, one dabbles in Old Testament, the other New Testament. And then, I, you know, they find it so appealing. So I, I, I knew this quote from a 33-degree Mason. And it says, and I quote, There is no coming to consciousness without pain. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own soul. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. End quote. And I told him, like, that sounds Luciferian. And he said, <laughs> well, no, like, you got to embrace the darkness and the light. You know, there's no coming to light, Christ, without the darkness. So you got to embrace both. And that just sounded very odd to me. So my question yeah. is, can somebody be a Freemason and a born-again Christian? 
Thank you for yeah. your answer in advance. Thank you, Caesar. You know, I, I've, I've dealt with this question several times over the years. Um, yes, I know Masons who are born-again Christians, um, but they are immature, um, typically unlearned Christians. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven, Caesar, uh, who who had really, really bad doctrine. Um, for many, um, the, the, the Masons are um, a civic, a social civic um, club to help people to do good things, um, and and that's what they want to do, and it's in their heart. Um, and again, I have known some Christians who were there, and when I would talk to them about Freemasonry and how it is, uh, how it stands really in, in contradistinction to uh, what we're told in the Word of God, it's sort of like, well, that's not my heart, and you know, you get that, and 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 they will be accountable before God, but. Um, Freemasonry, a masonry period is, and the higher you go, the more accountable you are. You said a grand master. It's the first time I've heard that term, but um, um, he's really accountable. Um, he's misrepresenting God. He's misrepresenting the word. Uh, it is a secret society. Certainly, we're supposed to do all things out in the open. There are secret oaths that are being taken, O A T H. O-A-T-H-S. I can't say T-H words that end in S. So uh, they're, they're secrets, um, uh, commitments, and, and covenants they make. And they're within masonry. And they're, they're told not to share things with people outside the masons. Uh, and all of that stands in violation to what the Word of God says. Um, uh, it gets the, the higher you get, the more new agey uh, and the more evil it gets. Uh, but we certainly cannot blanket, um, condemn um, um, all Freemasons. I, I, I know, again, I said Christians, um, people I know were saved, um, who who are, just think they're doing something good, and it's an opportunity to do good for others. So very, very important we understand. Um, there are some people in the Mormon church uh, who don't understand what the Mormons teach. They're lazy spiritually, and they don't dig in. Uh, and and yet, um, their hearts uh, are in the right place. They're just they're just lazy, and you know when they stand before the Lord, there will be no rewards. However, um, there are a few who will be saved. The same thing I'm certain is true with Jehovah's Witnesses, even though both Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses are cults. So in in every group, you're going to find somebody who's there for all the wrong reasons. In the same way, um, we have churches filled with lazy, spiritually lazy Christians who don't really understand what we believe. And and there'll be people who have been persuaded by this world, Caesar, that um, um, gay marriage is okay, transgenderism is okay. Uh, and it's all because, you know, well, it sounds loving to me. Who could be against that? And it's because they're spiritually lazy. And uh, sadly, that describes an overwhelming number of people who are in the church. So there's going to be a lot of people get to heaven. I call it in the smoking section from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, they're going to get to heaven, but they're going to find out what they missed out on and how displeasing their life here on earth was to the Lord. So, yeah, Freemasonry is to be avoided at all costs by Christians. And uh, at least the the people that you're talking to, um, if they will accept your witness and start digging in and comparing it to the Bible, then they're going to find out. The Holy Spirit will move them out. The problem, as I said, is most don't really dig in and check the Bible at all. Well, time is going by quickly. Uh, Maybe one or two questions left. Here's one from Christina. She says, is being filled with the Holy Spirit always followed by tongues? No, Christina, it's not. Um, It it is at times, um, but it's uh, not always. And in fact, uh, um, I would say most of the time it's not um, because it's simply not a a teaching that many churches are being filled or or are filling the churches with, equipping the saints with. in, in these crazy charismatic churches where they say you got to speak in tongues and you don't have the Holy Spirit, um, you know, they're, they're just as wrong on the other end of that scale as the Christian who says, I don't want to be bothered with, with the gift of tongues. It's a wonderful gift. But the answer is no. It's not always 
uh, being followed by tongues. Uh, finally, Leonard says, how many times should we pray for the forgiveness of sins? Leonard, every time you sin, <laughs> you should pray. When you are convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin, that's when you pray and ask for forgiveness. Um, if you have genuinely repented, um, um, you don't have to, to ask for forgiveness for that sin any longer. But as you go through life, every time you sin, uh, that's when we go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And graciously, he grants that forgiveness over and over and over and over again. So that's what we do. We don't just repeat the same thing. Uh, I don't know if the genesis of your question is that uh, you're feeling really guilty, something you did, and you've already asked for forgiveness, you've repented. Um, but, you know, the enemy will push that guilt button and you got to forgive me for what I did. Um, uh, that happens a lot. And what we don't want to do is keep asking God to forgive us for the same sin we've already been forgiven of. Ask for forgiveness when you've been convicted of sin. Every time. And and uh, when you commit a sin, you know it. God knows it. And you got to learn to hate it. And then what you do is you will simply say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then he wants you. He delights in the fact that we're able by faith to move on from that. And we don't let the enemy keep pushing those guilt buttons over and over and over. Good question, Leonard. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time today. The fact that you tuned in Uh, tonight. I'm going to be teaching 2 Kings chapter 3. I appreciate your prayers. Uh, You can watch it at calvarysa.com if you are so inclined. Uh, It starts at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with the, with me on the date day edition of the program. Um, we'd love to have you join us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.